0: Great news.
1: Hey everybody, welcome to Tulsa Music Stream. Uh, My name is Scott Squires. This is Nine, that's Jana. This is episode 69 and we will be.
2: (laughs) Man. 69. 69.
1: Stop. uh, This is gonna be cool. (laughs) We'll have Mr. Doug Goldstein uh, from uh, management from the Guns N' Roses era. Yes. And we'll be talking to him real soon on Zoom. But uh, before we get into anything, make sure you please share our um, our stream on your favorite Facebook pages and your groups and all that stuff, and of course we're also on uh, YouTube, and you can hit the notification bell, subscribe, um, Twitter, and Twitch, and also we are on um, podcasts now. Uh,
2: yeah, Spotify. Yeah,
1: so this is going to be our actual. We have past um, episodes now on all of our um, platforms, pods, you know, podcasts pod, Podcast. like Spotify, iHeart. Uh, Amazon and um, you know all, all the, the all iTunes, iTunes and all that stuff. Super so. cool.
2: Yeah, we you know we kind of realized once we started doing this that people love watching it live because when they watch it live they can interact with the guests and chat with them in the room ask questions but you know let's face it life is very busy and and sometimes people can't watch live but they want to just listen maybe from work maybe from the car so now we we've, we've made that uh possible for you to to listen to the show in podcast yeah, format yeah and
1: and none of it None of it can happen unless you guys invite your friends and, and, and get everyone involved, word of mouth, all that good stuff. Send and it to your enemies too. Yep, yep. Send send it on, share it and <laughs> right. um let's try to get some people in here to hear these amazing stories, not only guns and roses, but everything Doug. Absolutely.
2: Goldstein. Yeah. Let's, let's bring Doug Goldstein on screen. I'm going to do this right now. Uh, thank you, Doug, for being on time tonight. This Good is evening. just uh it's <laughs> such, such a treat when people show up on time and you were actually early. So we really appreciate you coming on. We want to thank Sarah Koyazo. I hope I'm saying her name properly. For, uh, okay, Love great. It. She networked us with you and, and told us and, uh, Doug is going to, he has an amazing story, Um, really super interesting, great testimony. You guys can go check his testimony out on movieguide.org. Just look for Doug Goldstein, and he's got the full details there. Doug, obviously, we're going to talk about your nonprofit, Rock for Eternity. We're going to talk, give you ample time to talk about that at the end, but I kind of thought we'd go chronologically with you, Um, you know, needless to say, your platform of of your management time with Guns N' Roses. It's given you a big platform to do a ministry, which is incredible. Sure. So let's back Absolutely. up. Let's go to the early years. I, I want to understand, I know you had kind of a kind of a challenging upbringing. How did you get into this crazy music business, and how did you become to know the guys in Guns N' Roses? Well, he was
1: a bodyguard, I think, right? Well,
2: yeah, tell the story. Hey, now,
3: yeah, you know, it's interesting. I've actually got to see some of the greatest guitar players ever to live. Um, I worked uh, short periods of time, like 25 uh, cities for the Rolling Stones every time they tour. uh, I was working for this massive security company, uh, started when I was 14 years old. Um, And I went from the Stones to the Who, we would work them. We'd work Springsteen, 25 days. And then I went on the road with Van Halen on the 84 tour. Uh, Then I worked for Air Supply, tough security gig with Grandma (laughs) Off the roses before you. Right? Right.
0: Wow, that must have been a tough gig.
3: Keep those, and keep those big panties. Uh, you know, I don't, we don't want to see those up on the stage. Right. <laughs> um, and but I worked for Black Sabbath, right? Uh, so Tony Iommi and Eddie Van Halen. Um, and then I was hired by David Lee Roth to be director of security, which is an interesting position because you care about the safety of the patrons, not just the bodyguard. Sure. So. I've worked like eight Super Bowls in the past. I've had a real blessed life. I've got to do some really fun stuff. So um, when Dave went out, obviously I worked with Steve Vai. Um, Amazing guy. He was my my guy. Um, When he'd show up, I went in bodyguard mode. Uh, And he's just an incredible man. Uh, Eight years after I'd worked with him, my brother was dying of AIDS. And uh, I took my brother to a John McLaughlin show. And Steve was there, and he came up. Somehow he knew what was going on with my brother. Uh, I hadn't talked to Steve in probably five years at the time. And he said, hey, Doug, is this your brother Sam? You know his name, right? <laughs> my brother's oh, like, I'm not. <laughs> my brother was a guitar player. Oh, wow. and, uh, and Steve addressed my brother Sam, and he said, look, uh, I have a studio. I'm sure Doug's told you that. And he said, I'm on the road all the time. Anytime you guys want to use it. You know, you can come in, Sam, with you and your band or whatever, just have Doug get a hold of me. And I thought, yeah, this guy's an amazing guy. Mm. But, you know, I've really been blessed to most of the people that I've worked for. Glenn Hughes still talks about me. Oh, wow. um, from the days. He said some wonderful things about me in his book. And I just love Glenn. And I love all the people I've worked for. Just good, good, good people. But so anyway, so I get a call one day from uh, two business managers, uh, Richard Feldstein, Whose son uh, uh, was the only manager of Maroon Five until he passed, and then his other son is Jonah Hill. So mm-hmm. his uh, his business partner is a guy named Barry Siegel. They called me and they said, "You can't be a Jewish bodyguard." Okay, so <laughs> I didn't tell Christian me <laughs> I didn't go to I didn't go to Temple. But um, so uh, they introduced me to Alan Niven, uh, the band's manager at the time. I came up to LA from San Diego and I met with him and a nice man. uh, He treated me incredible uh, until he was let go. But, um, and then I met with the band and the first question I asked is, what do you guys want to be when you grow up? And they said, "Uh, we want to be the biggest band in the world. And I said, well, pack your bags, right? You can't stay in Los Angeles then. So took them on the road and the rest is kind of history. I had a degree in international marketing. So while everybody else was sleeping, I was writing, marketing plans and sending them around the world. But, you know, the one thing, guys, it really is kind of, hey, hey there it is. By the way, the, the guy with the beard, um, if you don't know who that is, that's John Colotte. Yeah, yeah. Aaron yeah, Smith, the
0: dude, likes, looks like a lady. You video. got it. Him
3: he, in the wedding he, dress. Dude, yeah, like he, had some,
0: he had some. something to do with the Beastie Boys. and, and yeah, that. I think he, uh, yeah. yeah.
3: Yeah. Anyway, great guy. <laughs> he wasn't a big Axle fan, so every time I'd see him and talk to him, he'd go, how's
2: w psycho
3: oh geez boys <laughs> yeah, you... man but uh, johnny's a great guy so um so anyway uh yeah i mean that was really the the start the impetus and did you notice running...
1: r- did you notice right off the bat that the personalities of guns and roses when he first came on board their personalities uh were going to be a bit challenging or or did you get along oh, well, yeah. with them right away
3: so I, you know, I got along with them right away, but I knew the challenges that I was addressing. I had a, uh, a reputation in the industry for somebody who helps clean up people with drug and alcohol issues. Mm-hmm. And so, boy, I was thrown right to the flyer. You know, I'd never been – I'd always seen a lot of blow um, and booze. I'm not a – I don't do anything um, because as a bodyguard, you have to always be on point. Right. So um, – so, but I'd been around that quite a bit. I'd never seen heroin, and that was – a real strange one for me to be able to, uh, witness, right. Um, to see people that I love, uh, almost die right in front of me. Mm. Um, and, you know, those guys are my brothers. They were my family. And so it was very heartbreaking to me that, um, uh, that they would choose that path occasionally, but you know, God bless them. They're doing great now. So, yeah. so I didn't lose them guys, but I lost Shannon. Huh? Yeah, um,
1: yeah, exactly. Yeah. Did you know right away how to start booking, uh, tours and things like that um, how, how
3: yeah, difficult was yeah. that
1: especially back without any kind of cell phones or any social media you just kind of had to I mean had to learn on the fly I would, yeah, old I would guess school.
3: pretty much but you know I, I was blessed enough to be around it um so I I didn't really need much help I mean I knew um you know the the goals right Um, and I knew how to attain those goals, and it was a different world back then, right? I mean, uh, the business now is a complete 180 of what it was back then, so I kept my ticket prices at $25 Mm -hmm. um, because back then, you used your concerts to sell albums. That's really where the income was derived. So keep the ticket prices low, uh, sell out every venue. In fact, one of the things I'm most proud of on the Use Your Illusion tour tour Two and a half years, I never had one unsold ticket. Wow. Um, yeah, but I, I, I it was intentional. Uh, if the band could have sold 100,000 seater, I put them into a 75,000 seater. Uh, I was setting up for the next tour. Oh, look at that. <laughs> look at that. That's a great picture. <laughs> oh, that's
2: my best I've got a actually. bunch
3: of these, Doug. <laughs> See, yeah.
2: Really? Yeah. You know what?
3: I'd love to get some of these, Shanna. Well, yeah, I actually I... got them from your oh,
2: assistant. She she should. Did be on... you really, Diana. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah.
3: yeah, we'll oh, be scrolling will... through these as you're talking. She's <laughs> yeah. yeah, old that on me. <laughs>
0: that's, that's awesome <laughs> that you have that reaction to seeing uh, them.
2: That's, that's cool. That's great. I've got more for you. That's so you
1: such a, such so great. you you went from an opener, um, you know, doing a lot of club, um, probably theaters and things like that. Very much. And and of course, appetite for destruction comes out. And I believe yeah. Paul Stanley was supposed to be the, what, the first guy online to produce that album, but some, for some he reason.
3: Likes, yeah. He likes to tell my story. You know, to be honest with you guys, that was really before my time. Okay. Um, I didn't start with him until, uh, two months after they released Appetite. Um, and there were some certain things that I noticed that I didn't necessarily agree with. Like, why would you use a canned audience? Uh, not a real audience on their live like a suicide, uh, mm-hmm. EP. Um, It just didn't make sense. I don't believe in contrivances for Mm -hmm. any reason. I I call it the Millie Vanelli syndrome, right? You get caught and you won't have a career anymore, but uh, it didn't seem to stop them. Right. So (laughs) uh, it just, I wouldn't have done it that way.
2: Now, just so everyone understands your role, when you started with them during the appetite era, was that role as a tour manager or were you more like a, like a bodyguard at that point?
3: No, I, they hired me as a tour manager. The, uh, the tour so- manager, okay.
2: Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then did you? So after that, you you then progressed to just being their manager, correct?
3: Yes, it was readily apparent, Jan, after about, gosh, a month, that Axel and and Alan Eben just hated each other, mm-hmm. and so I was offered five hundred thousand dollars a year uh, by John Bon Jovi's management company, the McGees, Doc and Scott. Mm-hmm. Um, to move back to uh, New Jersey and live with Johnny and uh, Dorothea um, and be their year-round tour manager, but I passed. Uh, I was making $500 a week, um, but I've never quit a job, and so I passed, and they thought I was out of my mind. It certainly ended up working out. Hey, popcorn! (laughs) But it ended up up working out for me. I didn't really know. I certainly had a feeling, but it was more about uh, family and loyalty. So I wasn't about to quit on it, but Niven offered me that because he knew clearly that he wasn't going to have a career with them if he didn't, Mm -hmm. uh, cause Axel and I became closer and closer and he was my best friend. So was,
1: was Izzy all on board with going as far as you, as you were wanting to take them or was he wanting to kind of stay back a little bit and, uh, keep it more local (laughs) or how was, how was Izzy's uh, relationship with you?
3: That's a great question because Izzy and I were never close. <clears throat> he was very close to Alan. Um, the only time we were close is after I renegotiated. So the, the best uh, deal in the history of music I created at age 30, uh, the band was getting, for every $10 that came to the label, uh, the band was getting $1.50. And uh, I got into an altercation with David Geffen um he said i'll never speak to you again but he opened up the negotiation table and i turned it from a dollar fifty to three dollars and forty cents wow so izzy would call me every it was the only guy that thanked me he mm. would call me and say now instead of buying one motorcycle i can buy five right, <laughs> so, right. yeah yeah that's a great picture that's nevin on the right at the bottom um obviously Axel, me and izzy in the front yeah giant stadium um, That was uh, the Aerosmith gig for Paradise City. And then we immediately flew from there to uh, London. Uh, yeah, we flew to London, but it ended up being at Castle Donnington. Wow. Now, so were you,
0: were you their road manager when they played? What was the MTV concert? The Palladium or the, what was that where it was in New York? Was that the, oh, the Ritz? Ritz? The Ritz, right.
2: Oh, I've got that too. Look. Is this yeah, it? There
3: you
0: go. <laughs> wow, there yeah. you are. So there, that answers my question right there. <laughs> I remember seeing that when it first aired on MTV and I was just like, wow. Poor guy right
2: (sighs) in the middle of it. Jeez.
1: You know, as we were doing, it's funny as we were doing research and, and, you know, for this interview, of course, you know, the infamous, uh, was it the American, uh, music awards were Duff and Slash are up there and, and they're hammered and, and they're, you know, slurring and cussing and everything. And I think the second time that they got up there, Slash actually mentioned your name. That's Um, the
3: great backstory on that one, guys. So Niven used to like to, I, I've never been into self-promotion, right? I've never written a song. Don't really care to, I was in the business of selling guns N' roses tickets, not Doug Goldstein tickets. So I knew how to control the guys and, uh, Alan wanted to be on TV. (laughs) So he said, look, I need you to hang out with the great white guys tonight. They were sitting up in the, you know, in the nosebleeds. And so I knew Dick Clark pretty well. He was a wonderful man. Um, and I came up to him and said, Mr. Clark, I'm, I'm not sitting with the guys tonight, and they're not sober. So <laughs> I could get them to leave, right? I'll get them a bunch of money and send them out with a bunch of booze, and they'll have a great time. And he said, Doug, look, I need them here. And I said, sir, I'm just telling you, not advisable. So they wow. come up with mean, I'd like to thank By the way, I don't think you guys know this, but it was literally the creation of the 7th 2nd rule. Um, oh. That. Yeah. So now right? presentation, there's a a seven second backup in case somebody does what Slash sure. did. Sure.
2: Yeah, we know all about that. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> we do. So That's speaking of story. speaking of those instances, wasn't there a uh, an incident with Kurt Cobain too backstage? Uh, somebody yeah. shut your shut your bitch up, Kurt. That's right. Yeah.
3: You know, the, <laughs> the sad thing uh, is, Axel really loved Nirvana. um it's funny, you know, in retrospect, you listen to Duff, Mr. Seattle, and and Slash, and oh, they got it right off the bat. No, they didn't, they couldn't stand, they couldn't stand mm-hmm. him on it. And Axel's was like, look, they're on our same label, you guys, I think you should really check them out. He loved uh, that band, and it really hurt his heart um, that Kurt took a shot at him. Well, it was Courtney that took a shot at him. Mm-hmm. Um, but it hurt, it hurt his feelings. You know, and the, it's interesting, I have this theory that um, anger is never a primary emotion it's always based on something else and in Axel and my life 98 percent of the time is hurt yes. um so he uh yeah he reacted <laughs> mm. which he which he occasionally would by the yeah. way i love the gun man
2: <laughs> so doug you've been really open about the fact that you and axel were were very close you know you've even very. referred to him as your best friend at that time very. and you you already told us tonight that you really weren't that close to izzy What about the relationship with the other three guys? I mean, were you close to any of those guys? And from the get-go, were there kind of divisions within the band where these guys were on this side and that guy was on that side? Or was it just kind of Axel against everybody else?
3: Well, you know, it's interesting because uh, I felt sorry for the band because Axel would leave and they'd have to stay up there. You know, I'm I'm telling the security guys, I don't care if they play Wipeout. Until I get this figured out and I I get back on the stage they need to stay up there. And that was a real issue with the guys. Mm -hmm. Um, Probably the greatest thing I ever did for the band was not letting Axel know how they really felt about him because he would have just gone. Oh, wow. Uh, No question, because he loved them. Um, But he, you know, Genius Manic Depressive, and I was, I wouldn't say lucky enough, I was trained to deal with uh, manic depressive because my brother, Genius Manic Depressive, uh, my mother, bipolar. And so I kind of just walked in and, and I knew exactly, you know, how to talk to Axel. Um, but yeah, so as far as the other guys go, Gianna, it's a great question. Uh, I always got along and loved Duff McKagan. Yeah. When people ask me about him, I always go, he's like anybody he went to high school with. He's just the greatest guy, man. Uh, there he is. Yeah, my boy. But um, uh, Slash, him and I were really close um, because he ran the band's business um people wrongly think that Axel ran the band's business studio wise yeah a lot um but not the road stuff that was all slash press uh one of the greatest things i did for the band in the early days is actually blowing off interviews after interview after interview and so at the time there was a gal named lori earl as the day-to-day publicist and her and i speak five times a day and so i finally came up to her uh, called her and i said you know what lori no more Axel interviews He's not oh. doing them anyway. Right. right and she yeah. said, Doug, I they want to talk to. And I said, Lori, laws of supply and demand. She said, I don't follow. And I said, it's really simple. If we stop him from doing interviews and that's all anybody wants to talk to, he'll be able to talk to anybody that he wants mm-hmm. as the band accelerates in their career. And I was right. Um, you know, he could, it, that's what he would do. He would say, I want to talk to Kurt Loader. All right, I'll set it up. Um, but it, it made sense at the time. Um to uh, to not put him in that situation because he was just not gonna show up. So that's why Slash did probably 75% of the interviews. Um mm-hmm. I gave a couple to uh Duff and and Izzy and Steven. Uh and then Izzy, like I said, he was really close to he thought it was he <laughs> he said I looked like a cop and so he didn't trust me.
1: Right. <laughs> <my other> <laughs>
3: Slash, Slash actually said, you know what, if you ever cut your hair, you're fired. Yeah. So, uh, so I grew up really long, and then uh, I was in Germany on the Use Your Illusion tour, and uh, I went to get my hair cut. The guy said, "How do you want cut?" And I said, "Yeah, um, just a little trim in the back." He said, "Yeah, short to the back, right, right up the back, man." Oh <laughs> man, me. So um, <laughs> I went to sound check at the pay per view in Paris with my new cut. Yeah, he wouldn't talk to me for two weeks. <laughs> oh man, mm. oh, that's yeah, crazy. you know, yeah, but. It- Ever, um, I don't know if you guys saw this anywhere, but the first time Stephen and I had an interaction, it was the first time I met the band, and so we we jumped in the back, of this guy Steve, so I jump in the back of one security guy's truck, and guy named John Zucker, Big John, and uh, and Stephen goes, no, there's a seat up front, and I said, well, why don't you take it? He goes, dude, I'm just a drummer, and I said, dude, I just work for you, I said, go up there, man. So. <laughs> the the uh he wasn't used to a manager being humble right mm-hmm. um but you know uh look it's a country song but i just love that Tim McGraw song humble and kind it's how i try and live my life
2: mm-hmm.
1: wow you know it was it, i we we actually saw um steven adler at rocklahoma 07 you yes. know and oh. and you know he, i know he's had multiple issues and and uh, um you know drinking and everything and you know he was all over the place at rocklahoma and we uh you know got many hugs from the guy and yeah. then there was a oh, point like- where he was you know would try to you know hit he'd have like three or four cans of beer or whatever you know that he was pretty hammered and well, it seemed like he really? almost had an entourage of people yeah, yeah. That, babysitters that we, yeah would cut, you know, handlers right. and things and would take the stuff out of his hands and things like that and i, I, I you know he was a an amazing drummer, especially on Appetite. And, and, you know, he fit the band as far as his, his drum sound. But how did and who actually, you know, let him go? Who did the firing on that end?
3: Well, that was interesting. It was uh, because Stephen to this day thinks that, that was my idea. And I love Stephen. I never would let him go. And he also, I don't know if he still thinks so, but he thought that it was Axel's doing. And myself and Axel were the last people to get on board. um and and you know what in in retrospect it was probably the right idea it's just i loved him to the point that i didn't want to let him go um i was the one who was dealing with his uh, addiction issues um but alan said it's time and probably rightfully so i mean we spent over a million dollars trying to get basic tracks in in a year there was nothing usable and so um you know i i wasn't an attorney so uh myself and michelle anthony uh the attorney um met with him and just said stevie you got to go on a probationary period because you're i mean you're just screwing up dude um and he says it was because of the drugs that he was taking to get him off of the heroin but not a chance (laughs) i've been around it too long you know at that point um so he clearly was
0: the one with the worst substance abuse problem
3: well, you know, not necessarily, um, but it was more prolonged, uh, slash would clean up when he had to clean up and Stevie, I just was, uh, I think he was just so deep in the throes of his addiction that he could never really pull out of it. Um, no matter how hard that we all tried to help him, but back to Axel, he was literally the last guy to sign off on it. Um, hmm. he just kept calling me. Do we really have to let him go? Oh. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean it was it was uh, it was a sad time.
1: Uh, did, but- did you did you ever second guess exactly your role? And, and I mean, it's basically I mean, let's just you know be honest here. It was the dangerous rock and roll band ever, <laughs> and you're yeah. in the middle of it. And yeah. was there ever like, man, I I just don't know. I mean this. I mean Motley Crue's one thing, and of course you go on tour with Aerosmith and and, and Motley yeah. Crue and. and these are all bad boys and, and, then you, you know, intertwine <laughs> them with guns and roses. You know, I, I just can't imagine anything good coming out of it. Probably
2: shaved a good five years off your life, right?
3: No, you five. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> no, you know, it was, um, uh, people ask me my opinion of the dirt and I always go, boring.
2: Wow. Geez.
3: My wow. guys, put that to shame. And it's, you know, it's strange. Uh, I know that Hollywood's Hollywood, but the Nikki overdose was actually the only person that was there besides Nikki was Fred Curry, who I had brought in from Cinderella to Mm -hmm. fill Steven's shoes. Stephen had broken his hand uh, on the Alice Cooper tour. Um, And Fred, (laughs) poor Fred. Fred calls me, um, I left him a message. I said, uh, it was welcome to the jungle on uh, on his answering machine. So three o'clock in the morning, the night that uh Adler broke his hand, I said, I uh, hope you know that song, just welcome the jungle on there, and uh call me. So he called me the next morning and uh I wanted I offered him a job coming out. And he said, Look, no problem, as long as there's no drugs though. Mm-hmm. Come on, Fred, there's no drugs, what are you talking about? I wouldn't do that to you. So uh so when Nikki overdosed, Fred called me, obviously distraught. Um I said, look, and there was no Uber back then. I said, look, uh, make your way to LAX in a cab. Get out of there. I'll handle the rest of it. So I called the EMTs. I called Richie Fisher, their tour manager at the time. Um, and the rest is history. Right? Wow.
2: Hey, do you have time for some viewer questions before we kind of continue sure with? Okay. Yeah. Well, let's go yeah, yeah. kind of rapid fire on this because I can tell this, this hour is going to get away from us quickly. But uh, Larry hey, let's Ford... keep going right on thank you man Larry Ford yeah. says what was the hardest part managing
3: GNR uh that's a great question the hardest part would be uh the fact that you love these guys um and you're watching them die in front of you uh right. they're my favorite and so that was easily the hardest part no question
2: okay Don Hosterman says what's a favorite backstage memory
0: how do you how do you how do you pick <laughs> oh
2: it's got to be Donald Trump Donald Trump you know (laughs) what I've got that one as well look at this
3: yeah there's Donnie yeah so so uh, him him and
1: Axel were friends
3: is that right right it's really interesting that Axel during uh when Trump was running for president he was the most uh verbose about negativity towards Trump and I've never known Axel to lie and he's saying ever I mean he's one of the most honest people brutally honest actually and he's saying publicly, you know, what a piece of pos the guy is, and and I think, why are you saying that, dude? You were all over him at Madison Square Garden when I introduced you to him. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, you know, there were a lot of times. Well, there was actually another one with Billy Joel. Um, I don't like Billy Joel's music. I just not a fan. Yeah, sure. And think he's the greatest songwriter ever. So we argued for about four years about it. And so he calls me one calls me one night. I lived about two and a half hours south of Axel. He's in Malibu and I'm down in the beach. And he calls me at three o'clock in the morning. He says, I need you to come up here. He knows I don't sleep, right? I said, dude, come on, it's three o'clock. He said, you're not sleeping, come on. So I get in my car, I drive up there and I walk into his house and he's sitting at the uh, kitchen table and he's laughing. I go, what's so funny? He goes, I had dinner with a friend of yours tonight. I said, okay, who's that? He said, oh, no, no, I'm not gonna tell you. He gave me a gift for you. I said, okay. So he hands me this linen napkin, and it says to Dougie, my biggest fan, where the F were you? So (laughs) so about four months later, we're playing Madison Square Garden, and I hear this, where the F is Dougie? And uh, I look, and it's Billy, and he's rotted. He's carrying a bottle of Jack Daniels. And I said, you know, right here, sir. And uh, he walks up, and he goes, you hate me? I said, Billy, I don't Ah. hate you. I'm not a big fan of the music. He said, really? And I said, yeah, now there's a, that's a big group of people, like 50, right, <laughs> yeah. you know, watching this action. And uh, I said, I'm just not a big fan of the music. And he said, Doug, let me ask you a question. I said, yes, sir. He said, do you know the song Just the Way You Are? I said, yes, sir. That's one of my least favorites, right? He goes, <laughs> he goes, he goes do you know what that song's about? I said, no, sir, i now not. He said, that's about my first wife. He goes, can you tell me anything about my first wife? I said, oh, yeah, I can. He goes, oh, do enlighten me. I said, okay, Millie. I said, um, her brother, your first wife, her brother was your accountant. So they both left uh, with all of your money. He goes, very good, Doug, very good. He goes, so let me ask you, how difficult do you think it is in front of 85,000 people when I play that song? And when the chorus hits, all I want to sing is, You took the house, the kids, and the car he ends up to be hilarious he shares the same birthday as me and so i think that uh, there's something about may 9th uh, people that are you know they don't take themselves too serious oh
2: wow oh,
1: that's cool. amazing wow. so tell me what would what would be a typical guns and roses writer i mean i'm sure you had to handle a lot of that kind of stuff and may, maybe you did yeah. um but what would be on a guns and roses writer
3: well, on Appetite, it was really basic, really basic. Because when you're opening for Motley, you know, we're not making a whole lot of money anyway. And so I, I didn't want to be unfair to the guys that had brought us on, Motley, Aerosmith, Alice Cooper. So we kept it pretty streamlined. Um, and then uh, then just the opposite, once we hit Use Your Illusion, right? It was still right. a good part. Yeah, was insane. In fact, recently, and it really kind of bothered me, because when we toured with Metallica my band thought that Metallica were their friends. And this writer recently, uh, he thought that it was cute, uh, that Metallica figured out um, we don't have to have a writer at all. We'll just wait until Guns N' Roses go on the stage and we'll go eat all their food and booze. And, and this guy thought that that was really funny. And I thought, your, your idea of funny is a little different than mine. I mean, yeah. basically you're stealing from your friends. Right, uh, or your supported friends, right? right. Um, I thought it was a pretty classless thing to do when I heard about it. Quite honestly, huh?
0: I want to know. Um, you said you joined up with them two months after Appetite came out, right? So, in the time between that and when Use Your Illusion came out, how how much did your job change? Because obviously, they had hit superstar I want to yeah. know just in that amount of time, how, what were the kind of changes you went through just in that role you had?
3: Yeah, you know, that's um, a great question. Um, we all kind of grew collectively together, and so uh, I don't think that there was any point in time where I felt any kind of overwhelmed. Um, I was just doing my job. but uh, And I had a blast. I mean, I had a blast, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and in the beginning phases, when Nevin was there, he had a reputation for writing these, horrendous faxes to people and just cutting them down and being mean and and so my job was pretty easy. I just kind of came in behind him and I was and you the, were the nice, nice guy. guy. Absolutely so what I was the
0: be- moment? Can you remember a moment when you when things were different? Like you're like, oh shit, this is this is way bigger than it was.
3: Yeah. Well that's a great question as well because when we toured, you know, we came off the road and everybody's saying you're the biggest fan in the world. And we went, Really? when did that happen? We were just a partners family yeah, We're out there tuning along, entertaining people, having a good time. But of, of course, it was also the drug stuff. I mean, in the early days, um, you know, we would stay downtown, find a cheap hotel. And I'm beating up drug dealers and throwing them out all night long. Wow. And uh, and then like in Slash's book, he talks about Dougie, which is what they called me. Dougie books us at these golf resorts so that he can play golf. Not true. Not true. I tee off at 5.30 in the morning. They're just going to bed. I have a radio in case they're looking for me. And I'm done in two hours. Uh, The only reason that I would book them at these golf resorts is because good luck scoring heroin on the 15th tee. (laughs) (laughs) Right.
2: You know, in another interview you did, you said something that kind of confirmed what I've always thought about rock stars and why so many of them fall into substance abuse and I kind of want to elaborate on that a little bit you, you know you think about it these guys go out and they're playing in front of let's just say 75 oh. 80,000 people and it's just an adrenaline rush through the roof right. then all of a sudden oh. if you know fast forward a couple hours later they are secluded by themselves in a hotel room or maybe their home or well probably not home but you know what I mean S- secluded somewhere sure. all by themselves and that's coming right. down off of that adrenaline mm-hmm. high, I would assume some of these guys just struggle with the coming down part. Do you think that's why so many of them fall into substance because they don't want the high to end?
3: I do, but I also think it's more than that. I think that um, that when you come off the road and your wife says the dog's not gonna clean up his own crap, right? So uh, no longer do you have that 85,000 people that are giving you accolades and affirmations, um now it's real world stuff you got to take the trash out you know maybe you got to pick up a, wash the dishes or something to help Eat out toilet. yeah yeah right exactly um so so it was i mean that i think more than anything and i agree with you Jana, that the on-the-road stuff you're out there and then you come home but i think it's even more difficult when you come off the road um mm-hmm. you know, there's the now you're going to go months years right? And you have money uh, too yeah. Absolutely. 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 That's right. Yeah. So that
0: play is probably
2: a big part of <laughs> it. Yeah, and I'm sure it's a. Go ahead. I'm
3: sorry. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Uh, I'd worked for so many bands at that point. The more popular you become, the less you have to buy stuff. Right. Uh-huh. I mean, sure. everybody wants to buy stuff. <laughs> Although I have a great story about that. So Nike, in the early days, I worked out a deal with a gal named Kathy Scales. Um, she was an artist representative for Nike. And so I brought Slash and Steven down there. And so we came off the road with Appetite and um, and I called Kathy, I said, hey, Kathy, the guys wanna come down, Slash and Steven. And she said, well, Doug, that's interesting. She said, um, uh, I have a check for you for 20 grand. I said, to buy stuff? She goes, no, it's from my boss. Um, he wants you to go out and buy Adidas, Converse, New Balance, anything but Nike, because we don't want the association with you guys. Wow. I thought, wow, that's, that's okay. That's wild.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. Now you're no fan of that, of the Reels documentary. Um, I've I've read or, or, or.
3: Well, they just left too much stuff on the, on the cutting room floor, right? Yeah. Uh, It wasn't necessarily the content as much as it was. I said some great stuff that. John Reese is in there quite a bit, the tour manager, and he never tour managed a band in his life, but I'd known him since we were 18 years old, so I brought him in. But um, I just felt that I had some valid points that got dropped that weren't seen. So, And yeah. you know what? And that's not MTV did this big Guns N' Roses synopsis. I'm over in White. I didn't get a phone call, right? Nothing. So um, that's okay. Oh.
2: So there are some other questions in here in the chat about about a book now Have you completed a book or is a book in process? I'm not.
3: I was writing with a wonderful guy named Brando he does uh, Appetite for Distortion and um, and it just um, It wasn't going the way that my book uh, my literary agent wanted it to go and and as much as I love Brando um, We agreed to go in a different direction um, so I'm working with a guy named Blair Fisher uh, who did a great story for Rolling Stone on Eddie Van Halen. He's a funny guy, really funny guy. So I've had to kind of start, not start over, but start over. Yeah.
2: <laughs> gotcha. Yeah.
3: Yeah. yeah. And to be honest with you guys that, and it's not just guns and roses, any band that I've read, um, the, one of the things that their autobiography is one of the things that just irritates me is they never talk about everybody that worked on the project. So in my book, that's going to be my differentiator is everybody it takes a village, right? It Takes right. a team. And so everybody at the label, the agencies, the attorneys, all those people need to have a place in the book. So right. I'm going to write some of those wrongs.
0: That's great. Tell me how did Matt Sorum change the chemistry when he joined the band?
3: Matt and I never really got along um, because he always wanted to be a partner in the band and he thought that I was the one telling him no and it was all along, it was Slash saying, not a chance. I mean, he'll never be a partner Um, and now Matt knows that but um, at the time, Matt would get fairly aggressive with me. Uh, Now, I mean, I love who Matt's become. You know, you made an interesting point about Adler being a great drummer and I was a drummer as a kid. Adam was a great risky player. Um, it fit for Appetite. But, I mean, I put Sorum up there with, he's not Bonham, but sure. um, he, he was a metronome. He was a power player. Yeah. Um, and some of the fills, oh my God, I was listening the other day to the Use Your Illusion records. Some of the fills that he does are just mesmerizing to me.
1: Yeah, um, he, he sounded really great. solid on that Velvet Revolver album oh, as yeah. well. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. yeah.
3: yeah. Were,
1: you, were you in
2: those guys' lives at all during that era? Because speaking of documentaries, we just rewatched that one. I know it's old by now, but, you know, as they went through the process of getting Scott Weiland in the band, were you in, in their lives at all at that point?
3: Not at all, no. Um, 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 once Slash left, uh, Axel had done this thing where he owned the name, and that, by the way, that... You know, Duff and Slash. Uh, I believe that Alan Nevin has convinced them that I was the guy who had them sign away their, the rights in the name. Uh, but the backstory on that is: it was July 5th of 1993, and the band was in Barcelona, Spain. And um, the story goes, as Slash and Duff think, that Axel called me to his room and said, "Look, I owned the name before. I want it back. And so if they don't," sign this, then I'm not going on the stage and people are going to die and that's going to be on their head. Mm. So then as the story was told to them, I walk in with a document at soundcheck and I tell them they have to sign it. Well, the interesting thing about that is July 5th of 1993 is the day that my oldest boy, Jake was born. He's in a band called Honey. They're doing really well. Mm. But um, I was in Mission Viejo, California. It was actually the tour manager, John Reese so uh i never would have allowed Axel to do that for the reason that it was under duress um if you truly wanted to do something and they didn't have legal representation so basically his doing so under duress with no legal representation you could have taken that and thrown it out the window yeah it wasn't a valid contract so nobody deposed me when they sued each other i'm i'm sitting there going guys i mean call me in because i would have stuck up for Slash and duff Quite honestly even though they were no longer in the band and they thought that i was against them
2: is your relationship with them good now or do you just not have one
3: i don't have one don't have one okay yeah
1: now you know it's it's no secret that you know axel and maybe i'm wrong wasn't too fond of the the media you know news and um you know, that's you know, get in the ring, and and I know there were some yeah. issues with the what a, a Mick Wall that you may oh, have yeah. had, and and yeah. but yeah, mixed. screen explain the reasons why the media and, and Axel just didn't see eye to eye.
3: Uh, Axel's big on not explaining himself, uh, and so when people take shots at him and he thinks that they're inaccurate, now he'll accept it if he thinks that it's true. But if they're inaccurate, he's not going to accept culpability for it and it bothers him. Um, they're making a living off of telling things that are not the truth about who he is. And so that was always an irritance. Um, you know, it used to be very difficult for me that Axel wouldn't defend himself. Like, obviously, the uh, you know one in a million. Um, that was literally, and I'm sure you guys know this already, but that was literally written about a scared guy with racist, homophobe um, thought processes that he learned in growing up. Arriving in Los Angeles and seeing it for the first time, just going, Whoa, what is this? Right. Yeah. And he was really poking fun at himself um, for coming into Los Angeles with those kind of preconceived ideas that he grew up with. Okay, so explain it. Right. He's like, Does Picasso did Picasso explain his art? No. And I, you know, I beg him, I said, dude, you're getting killed out there. Please send up for yourself. Now and he didn't want me to do it either. He didn't want me to you know, speak to anybody on his behalf. But They didn't want to listen
1: was, to you anyway, right? They wanted to hear well, it from him.
3: Yeah, right. That's true. Exactly. Yeah, they didn't want to talk to me. <laughs> so, yeah, that's very true.
2: So Axel is, is uh, very well known for being late on stage. I think that's uh, no secret. What, what do you think the primary reason was for that? Was it that he had such anxiety about performing or was it, was it something else?
3: No, Jenny, you're right. It's, um, you know, I'd worked for so many people at the time, and he has a four hour prep time. Um, And so it included uh, chiropractic, uh, a massage. Uh, We had chiropractor and masseuse on the road with us, Um, uh, vocal warm up, and uh, and he'd have to eat a steak every day because that's what his vocal coach would tell him he had to do. Ron Anderson, God rest his soul. Um, But uh, so it was about a four hour prep. So, if he would make any kind of a shriek, squeal, you know, missed note, um, he'd start the process all over again. His thought always was, these people are paying their hard-earned money, I'm not going to cheat them. Um, So, he was the most, I don't want to say insecure, but caring, actually, and that's the the, the interesting dichotomy, is he actually cared about giving the, the best show possible. And everybody else is thinking he's just an ass. But, right. you know, yeah. again, having dealt with manic depression my whole life, they don't really think about things like most people do. Uh, my brother can never understand the concept in Hollywood of you can't park here for street cleaning on Tuesdays between 8 and 10. He used to get his car impounded all the time. Oh, it's like, dude, how easy is it, man? It's Tuesday. Put <laughs> <laughs> car. So a very similar analogy with Axel. Certain things that you and I the average person would just go, well, dude, what, I mean, come on, this just makes sense. And the idea is he would always play his very best shows um, when he was really late and the crowd's leaving, right? He's like, well, why are they leaving? It's like, dude, it's four o'clock in the morning and 90% of your crowd are blue collar people. They've got a job the next day. Yeah. So- yeah. Yeah
2: there is a question in here um kind of about that maybe this pertains more to like the riot type situations but Mm -hmm. uh neil park says i'd like to know what repercussions happened with other venues after the incident when axel bailed a few songs into the show
3: wow well um I was the one that usually had to clean up the masses, right? So like in St. Louis, the big riot, um, I put the band in their limousines and sent them to Chicago and I had hired most of the crew from past tours that I did. So these are guys that had never been in a fight in their life. And so I gotta make sure I get all these guys out safe. So, you know, there's people jumping up and down on million dollar soundboards and light boards. And I gotta, you know, these guys that I knew, Phil Ely and David Kerr, um, lighting and sound, um, they're crying. They're literally standing there crying. And so um, this, this is their life. And so, you know, I'm knocking people out off of the boards. And, uh, and then at one, at one point, uh, they had taken a hose away from the police department, a uh, fire hose. And so I had my shirt off and my laminate. So I looked like one of them. And so I came up to this group of five guys with the hose at the front of the stage and said, let me have a turn, let me have a turn. And uh, the guy with the hose was like, no way, dude. And everybody else was like, he's one of us, give it to him. I shot these guys down. Oh, wow. <laughs> I actually ended up having a good time. I hate to say it,
1: right?
3: yeah. but was only the second show ever at that, uh, at that building. And oddly enough, I live here now in St. Louis and most of my days are spent by telling people, no, he's a good guy.
1: <laughs> all right it, it's so many different controversial s- stories you know that just followed guns and roses you know it seemed like it just followed them from the beginning to to, yeah. to the almost to down to the very end basically well it's you know yeah. they're still going and everything and they they still sound great and and we actually saw them um a couple of years ago and they they sounded great Did you,
3: really? and, you yeah. know I haven't, seen, I haven't seen them um since the reunion not once uh primarily because they don't want anybody from the past around and I don't know who's given that directive, but, um, I have, uh, guys that worked for me that have gone to shows and just been treated horrific. And I thought, I don't need that. I give them 17 Dude. years of my life. Yeah. Mm. I don't need that embarrassment.
1: But one of the controversial things that seemed to surround them, especially in the eighties was, you know, I, I don't know if this happened, I guess after the, uh, the Dr. Feel Good tour with, uh, Motley, and oh. I don't know which incident happened first when uh, was it, uh, Vince, you know, punched yeah, uh, Izzy. Easy. And then, of course, the <laughs> challenge fight between uh, Axel and Vince. You know, they challenge each other to a fight and everything. Oh, it's a lot different. What it's the lot hell different. was that all about?
3: Yeah, so apparently, and I have no idea because, you know, they're, they're hanging out at the, at the uh, cat house. Um, sorry, guys, I had to shut the door, get a little chilly here in St. Louis. That's but, good. um, so, uh... Uh, apparently Izzy drunk had makes some remarks uh, about two Vince's wife so you guys know you're up on stage so they're opening for Tom Petty I think it was American Music Awards again uh, Axel and Slot I mean yeah excellent. and Izzy played with it oh, and right. so um, literally we're walking off and Niven has Izzy and I've got Axel, and they're, Izzy and, and Niven are in front of us and we can't see right I mean He's literally hiding in the dark, um, stays left as we're walking off. He hits Izzy, and Axel's gone, right? He's going after Vince, man. (laughs) And Vince had left his limo running, told the driver, you know, keep it going, man. And he dove in, and they took off. And then he's uh, got his big mouth shooting off publicly. And so Axel finally said, look, uh, you know, his manager Doc, really well. He said, yeah he said well i found and i forget the name of the country but burma or something like that he found this place where you can literally legally fight to the death and he said you know what i'm tired of, of him talking crap about me he said so tell doc i want to go fight to the death and i'll put up all of my money he can put up all his money and we'll see who wins right wow. and Vince never said a word out that. wow that's <laughs> crazy man i mean you know he's like not <laughs>
2: So just to well, be clear, do you do you also no longer have a relationship with Axel at this point?
3: No, yeah, I really don't. Um, you know, I had not spoken to him in 10 years. Uh, I retired to be a father in 2004. I moved to Hawaii. And um, so I was doing a podcast in 14 and saying nice things about him, right, which drives him crazy. <laughs> it drives him nuts. <laughs> stop talking. Don't stop saying nice things. So I said... Um, uh, so I was saying nice things, and so uh, that was our Friday. So on Monday morning, about 8 a.m. in California, I get a phone call from an attorney that I've never heard of. And he says, uh, look, if you ever speak on behalf of my client again, we're going to sue you. And I said, hmm, you know what, I, I'm not an attorney, but I pose a question. Since when do your threats trump my First Amendment rights? So I've got a different idea. I'll lose my phone, number. don't ever call me again, and I'll sneak in and take care of you. Right? And I have the skill set to do so. Right. Mm. So about five minutes later, Axel calls me and he says, Bro, he goes, I heard the podcast. You know, you said some very nice things about me, but you know how I feel about that. And I said, I, dude, I don't work for you anymore. Right. I'm tired of people thinking that you're a person that you're not. Right. And um, he said, Dougie, I just need to tell you, I'm working on some past relationships. And you talking about slash? And I said, Okay. I said, Well, you know what? Then I'm going to stop doing podcasts until you get that either worked out or not. And then I'm going back and I'm going to keep doing podcasts. Right. And because, uh, it's just, it's always driven me just absolutely crazy that people have this opinion of him that's just, he's not who he, who I know who he is. And anybody that works for him, they'll tell you the same thing. Who's ever worked for him? The guy's just an incred- incredibly nice guy. Shy, wow. which is odd, right? I mean, he's up there singing the songs that he's singing. You'd never guess in a million years that he's shy, but he's a really shy guy.
2: I think a lot of musicians are. I, I think the whole the whole uh performing thing is almost a facade it's almost like you sure. get into character up sure. there yeah. but the person you I are agree. in real life when you're you know driving down the street getting some groceries or whatever that's a that's often a totally different person i mean the musician is an interesting breed for sure
3: it is yeah i agree
0: no i want to know real quick because you said you drove up from san diego and I'm, I'm a san diego boy where did you live in san diego oh, my,
3: where'd you go up man
0: i'm from coronado
3: Oh, look at him—the silver spooner.
0: <laughs> no, no, actually, I was a, I was a navy, I was a navy brat, but I was born in Balboa Hospital in San Diego.
3: Oh, ah, yeah, dude, right on. Yeah. yeah. Um, one of the restaurants in the world is in Coronado called Paoli's. Um, I did used to do it every Mother's Day at Paoli's. Great restaurant, man. I love Coronado Hotel. Oh, man,
0: I, I'm v- I'm a very proud Californian. So yeah. and I, I was spoiled. Now and and then my parents moved me out, and here we yeah. are.
2: Fellas, do you have any more Guns N' Roses related questions? Okay, I want you to do that, and and then we want to let Doug talk about Rock for Eternity at the end. No
1: problem. Um, Go for it. Now, I heard that um, you mentioned something that um, throughout those years, you guys had cameras that followed Guns N' Roses um, all over the place, and you probably have hours of uh, film that has not ever been released do you think True. that any, any that they'll ever release that put it out at a, like a movie? You know how those things are big yeah. now, especially Netflix and the stuff mm-hmm. that Motley Crue did and everything. The dirt. Yeah. If mm-hmm. they put out some footage like that, I mean, pretty interesting stuff. I'm sure. Uh,
3: there's two and a half years, uh, three, three, three camera shoot. Yeah, three cameras followed them um, on and off stage for two and a half years. Um, and not sour grapes, promise. Okay, but. If I was invited back to manage them, and I wasn't, so again, it's not sour grapes, but my marketing ploy, uh, other than, you know, they put out a one paragraph announcement, we're back. First off, I probably would have had him hang gliding naked over the Rose Bowl with a flare in there, <laughs> we're um, but more importantly, what I would have done is I would have edited down all that footage into a song remains the same, right? Yeah. Um, and put it into Friday and Saturday midnight plays only all over the country. And then three months later, sell tickets. They'd yeah. have been gone. That when was, was the camera?
0: When was the when was the filming done during the Use Your Illusion era? Yeah, the
3: entire two and a half year tour. Wow,
1: jeez. Okay. Wow. do you do you agree that when Slash played with Axel, or I'm sorry, with Michael Jackson, that that yeah. kind of started, you know, yeah. the tension between him and the rest of the guys? Or well, I guess with with Slash. And do you think that it was more like he was kind of. I don't know betraying Axel by going and playing with Michael and doing all those things do you, or do you feel like it was more of him being jealous that slash was starting to uh become you know one of his own No
3: no jealousy whatsoever he had just come out with a an article talking about being molested by his original father um and here slash is going to go play with a guy who allegedly right has some of the things that uh and at the time it's interesting uh, if you used to be able to google doug goldstein the first thing that would pop up is why doug goldstein is full of s-h-i-t and this person's pointing to the fact that i'm talking about how there was a rift between action slash because of the michael thing and the guy's saying doug's full of because yeah.
0: you can say shit
3: yeah oh yeah i try not to as a christian guy but that's okay, oh, okay. Gotcha, uh, gotcha yeah yeah but um but um uh, it, it was it was it, I mean all, we all knew right that those allegations were true way before anybody came out publicly and were talking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody in the industry did, so for this guy to, oh and by the way, he, he made it to where you couldn 't calm that, <laughs> so, so I'm just sitting there. I call, I call people like him cowards behind keyboards, right mm-hmm. um, to anybody can sit back now, particularly now, right, and make uh, assertions that are incorrect, sure um, you have to defend yourself.
2: we got another viewer question. You already kind of talked a little bit about Duff, but I want to make sure I get this in. Dustin Little is a very big supporter of our stream, a sponsor, as a matter of fact. He says, can he speak to Duff and his character? We all know he was big on vodka and cranberry for 12 years, but was he a good guy?
3: Oh, the the best. The best, the best, the best. In fact, one of the things that I'm going to do in my book, and I've said this a couple times, but I'll, I'll, I'll reiterate it again here, is because I had never dealt with heroin, most of the time I was dealing with Slash and Steven. And one of the first things you're going to see in my book is a public apology to Duff McKagan.
0: Um,
3: I wasn't focusing on, uh... sorry. It's
2: all good, brother. It's all good. You're with friends here.
3: I wasn't focusing on what he was going through and he almost died, you know. And I could have uh, easily with my knowledge and how to help people out, I could have easily helped.
2: Sure, man. I understand.
1: You know, you, you see him in that velvet revolver, um, video and, uh, you know, Scott Wyland's going through his issues and Duff has yeah. overcome and he's, you know, healthy and, mm-hmm. and sober and, 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 you know, it, how he tried to help save, uh, Scott Weiland and, and did everything in his power to, uh, be his bud and, and, uh, you know, help him.
3: I do have, I I guess do have an interest. Up. Yeah, I'll stop then- myself crying. Of a funny story. So, Duff is, I mean, he tells everybody what a great business guy he is, and he is, right? He is. He's become a great business guy. Mm-hmm. But he talks about how he invested in Google, Starbucks, Microsoft, right? He couldn't spell investment, right? <laughs> <laughs> and so, and so it, they had a bunch of money, and so this great business manager, a friend of mine named Michael Oppenheim, um, Duff wanted to invest money. And so we called a meeting, uh, myself and Michael and Duff, and we asked Duff, what are you passionate about? And he said, my hometown of Seattle. So we put him in those, right? Mm. Um, I can't even imagine how many times those stocks have split since 1989. <laughs> right? Mm. And, and God bless him. Look, he's, like I said, he's a great, he's become a great businessman, but the yeah. initial surge of income was actually something that myself and Michael Lockman did.
2: Wow.
1: Hmm. I got yeah. one more thing before we, uh, yeah. before Janice starts talking, sure. um, you know, yeah. with all the, all the shit that you went through and all the stuff, all the controversial things, all the, all the, this craziness and, and, and the Metallica tour. And I'm sure that was just a, that's a whirlwind for you, but then, yeah. you know, you're out of, you're no longer doing these, uh, these things for, for these guys. And I'm sure you're, you're doing your own managing other bands. I'm not sure if you still are, but, I am. but then there's a story that comes out where Axel throws out his mic microphone. And, and now he's got another lawsuit from someone, you know, mm. o- over a mic stand or his microphone. And he throws out the crowd. <laughs> Did you, have you read that and go, damn, I- here we go again.
3: No, you know what? Um, there's an assumption. I mean, look, I'm not an attorney, right? But I, but I certainly had a lot of litigation to do with. <laughs> 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 that, that, was most, that was probably half my job, right? Jeez. Because I'm the one who had to go to all the depositions and stuff, not the band, right? not that often. So I became pretty adept at litigation. And there's a certain assumption of going to a show because he does that at every single show he's ever played. And so I don't know how that stands up in court. And again, I guess it's like, it's one of those risks that you take on because it's assumptive, right? You know, at some point in the show at the end, he's going to throw the mic. Mm -hmm. It happens at the same time, every single show, every single concert. Um, I'm not defending Axel, I don't work for him, but I'm just speaking pragmatically from a legal standpoint. I I don't think he has much to worry about. Sure. And he look, Axel's a great guy. If he yeah. hurts somebody, I saw his public apology, right? Um, that was heartfelt. Axel's a great guy. And I'm certain that he will take care of the person financially, whether they would have sued him or not.
2: So, Doug, we've heard all these stories that have, have spanned your life. And here we are in 2023. You're a believer yeah. and you have a, a nonprofit ministry called Rock for Eternity. I want yes, you to ma'am. tell us a little bit about what that is. What are your goals and visions for what you want to accomplish with this organization?
3: Thank you, Jen. I appreciate that. Um, it started in uh, uh, 1989 when we were playing Rock and Rio and uh, two shows. Right, We're the only band that, that got to play two shows and it was broadcast all around the world. Um and there was a lot of stuff that happened at that show, but I, I won't go into it. But one of the things that happened on the way to Soundcheck, um, we're driving through the mountains to get to the facility and I'm looking at all these cardboard houses. And so I asked my interpreter, I said, what's going on up there? And he said, Doug, millions of people live up there. I said, oh my God. I said, really? He said, yeah. And I said, uh, man, that's sad. He goes, that's not the worst part. I said, okay, it gets worse. He said, yeah. And, and I, I won't go into who, but suffice to say authorities and I'll leave it at that um but authorities go in in the middle of the night and they murder uh babies up to age four because they're oh. just going to grow up to be uh, murders and thieves and oh, I cry, I cry I, you know it's funny uh, as a tough guy I cry at letter openings and I'm okay with it I'm, you know I, it's just who I am I'm an emotional person I'm an empath and so um so I knew right then I had to do something with my life at some point in time so I've Personally, almost died probably at least a half a dozen times. Um, And God saved me because he had something else in store. So I've started this ministry called Rock for Eternity. Uh, The basic premise, the mission statement is as simple as it gets, helping others less fortunate. That's it. So the premise is to identify two to three families in each city that I go to um, who are in dire need. Um, I'm going to need the financial resources to to make this happen in the way that I want to, but uh, people like Sarah, right, Koyazo, um, she'll help me in the local market to, to get me to uh, churches, right, to raise clothing, food, shelter for people that are less fortunate. So I'll arrive with a camera in in hand and film the entire thing and hopefully upload it to a YouTube channel called Rock for Eternity. Um, So even though it's a Christian based organization, I was having a conversation with this gal the other day and she said, well, that's great and everything, Doug, but I'm agnostic. Fair enough. I said, let me ask you a question. Would it make you feel good to help another person? She said, of course it would. And I said, well, then you're exactly the person I want.
2: Mm.
0: I
3: don't care about Judaism, I don't care about you know i don't care what you are do you have a heart that wants to help people right? right and if you do i want to align myself with you for the betterment of humanity no more no less so i want to I and mean, i have to start small because again the financial resources just aren't there to take care of people in the way that i want to because it's not just going to be a drop and go um every month i'm going to follow up with that family i'm going to have people like sarah follow up once a week and see how everybody's doing i want to set up i share plans uh which are um, college uh, education for children um in those families who otherwise wouldn 't be able to send their- children to college um, and you can establish that really easily by dropping in hundred dollars a month and it just builds and builds and builds and builds and accrues interest and by the time they go to college it 's you know they 've got hundred thousand dollars sitting there and all their education to be paid for so um that's i mean that's one of the things Shannon. but um it's i'm just literally just kind of getting started and uh it's it's been fairly receptive right most people hear about it and they go wow so guns N' roses manager 17 years is not doing good things um in a perfect world um it would end up on netflix or hbo or showtime but it's not about me never it's about glorifying god and taking care of people that's it no more I don't need it. It's like I said before, you guys, I've never been in the business of selling Doug Goldstein tickets, right? Yeah. And so similarly, I, I don't need, I don't even want my name associated with it, which is why it's, it's not called Doug Goldstein's Rock for Eternity. That would be, I don't know, it, it's inconsistent with who I am as a human being.
2: So if someone so, wanted to get involved and con- contribute to your efforts, where should they go to do that?
3: Rock for Eternity one at gmail.com is my personal Rock for Eternity. Okay. Rock for Eternity one at gmail.com okay
1: very good
2: very good well that is a yeah. definitely worthwhile cause you know
1: this is something that you know we would definitely need to have you on but there's just so many stories and there's just a spider web of things <laughs> guns and roses and 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 i'm sure yeah. like the, the scene in hollywood with the faster cast well, the la guns and you know the tracy hey, guns guys. story and, you know janie all that
3: Look, Janie, i loved janie i used to say him when they were passing flyers out. Mm. And, uh, I was dating, I call her psycho Cindy, because it ended up being, she was my, she was my psycho. We all have one. Right. But, um, he had 14. dated her in Ohio and he saw me with her and he didn't warn me. I later told him, I was like, thanks a lot. Thanks yeah. a lot. Not me. <laughs> but, um, but Jenny was a doll. He was a sweetheart, but that was a great time, right? The faster pussycat guys, just great guys. Um, the album,
0: Appetite and the Faster Pussycat album both came out about the same time, yeah. and so <laughs> I remember being—I tu- remember being turned on to both those at the same time. Yeah.
3: The very first tour I did with Guns N' Roses was we flew to Germany, uh, and we toured. We were headlining. Faster Pussycat was o- opening, and it's great story, man. I mean, I don't even know anything about the band yet, right? I mean, superficially, right? But this is my first first thing I'm doing with the band. So, I get a call about three o'clock in the morning from the front desk, and apparently, Pastor Pussycat, who was staying in a different hotel, they had thrown the drunk drummer out of, out of uh, their hotel, and he came over to our hotel, and he passed out and he urinated on Izzy's bed. Oh. So, I get a phone call, and the front desk manager says, I need you to come, come down here, and this, <laughs> this guy, <laughs> <laughs> they tied his arms and hands behind his back, naked, oh. and put him in the elevator and hit lobby. <laughs>
2: oh, my goodness. Oh, the drummer for yes. Faster
0: Pussycat.
3: I'm like, yeah.
2: Mark Michaels.
0: Mark Michaels.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, what am I doing with my life, man? What are you kidding me? So, oh. yeah, oh. My, oh. First, my first night with Guns N' Roses, that's what happened.
1: Wow. Well, b- before we let you go, I I, yeah. I want the viewers and the listeners on the podcast platforms and, and I want you to explain the was it was it is it Bogota, Colombia,
2: uh, Bogota. 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 Yeah. Bogota. Yes.
3: <laughs> tell yeah. us tell
1: us a story about that.
3: So our gear gets uh, there's a coup attempt in Caracas where we played the night before. And so we get out, the band, but our crew gets uh, stuck with the, uh, with the gear. Um, so they shut down the airport. And so we, I show up, and the promoters are the guy who owns the television, a guy who owns the radio, and a guy who owns uh, what's the other format. Anyway, so uh, I don't have a chance to get my, oh, the newspaper. So I don't have a chance to get my story out. So they wanted to, instead of playing Friday and Saturday, they just wanted me to give half the money back and um play just the saturday show and i said we're available saturday and sunday we'll play saturday and sunday no we want our money back i said i'm not giving it back <laughs> so because i had all the money it's the only country ever that i had to get 100 percent as opposed to 50 which is what you normally take so i had 100 percent paid up front um because mm-hmm. i didn't trust escobar was in in uh charge at the time still and so uh long story short they oversold the concert. They, they decided to just have the Saturday concert, and they oversold it by thirty thousand people. Oh,
2: geez. so
3: these thirty thousand people rape, pillage, whatever the uh, downtown Bogota. So seven thirty in the morning, the next morning, there's a knock on my door. Oh my God, my bulldog's going to the door. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, sorry, uh, but um, so uh, I open the door, and I'm I'm in my boxers, and this guy sticks a machine gun in my chest and he has me a letter. And I read Spanish and I speak Spanish, I've grown up in San Diego. And so I read the letter and it says, you have a mandatory meeting with the mayor at 3.30 today. There's no meeting, I know there's no meeting, right? And so I tell him the Spanish, as soon as Mr. Goldstein gets back, I'll let him know, shut my door. So it's also the only city where I had hired U.S. Embassy security. So I call this guy, John, who's in charge of the security. and say, can you come to my room? He comes to my room and I hand the letter, I says, what does it say? So he goes, says, you have a meeting with man. I know what it says. I said, is there a meeting, John? He goes, no, no. I said, they're going to kidnap me, aren't they? He said, yeah. I mm-hmm. said, okay. It's time to leave, huh, John? He goes, it's time to leave. I said, okay. Oh, so most of the guys, because we were in Bogota, are still awake, <laughs> right? <laughs> For obvious reasons. So, um, So those that weren't awake still... <laughs> Um, I got them all collected up and we took off, uh, with an escort, uh, to the airport and here I am today. Good
1: grief. Wow. Glad you made it out. And that's just one yeah, of the many do. horrific yeah. stories that you have. Uh, I'm sure.
3: You know what? I used to call us the CNN band. It seemed like every single night we were on CNN or something. Oh my so.
2: goodness sakes. Well, clearly we need to have you back again to, to get more into the, into the stories and, uh, Anytime. You know, yeah. th- thank you for being such a great guy. Thanks for having a, a heart for people and a heart for God, and oh. and uh, using your platform to do good for the world. We need more people like thank you out there. And and Doug, we just appreciate you coming on with Tulsa Music Stream tonight. Yeah. Thanks again to Sarah Coyazo for setting this up and networking yeah. us. Please stay in touch with us yeah. and and you, let us know, oh, man. And, and, and I <laughs>
1: encourage. I encourage you to reach out to maybe Duff and some of the guys, and just to just, just to say, hey, just say that you're still around. Yeah, life
0: is short.
3: Yeah, buddy. Uh, and so am I. Yeah, you know what? I'm, I'm actually I'm actually kind of working on that without so going Good into detail.
2: I'm
3: kind of softly working on that, right? Kind of massaging it to at least um, see if there's a chance at some point. Sure. That's
2: me. wonderful. We'll we'll definitely catch up about that the next time we have you on. <laughs> Very All right, cool. much yeah. much love, Doug Goldstein. Everybody, give it up.
1: Tell <laughs> Axel that I said hi. Thank you, Doug. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> love you, brother. Have a good night. Love you too. Thanks, Janet. Take care. Peace.
1: Cool
0: stories. Very nice. Very cool stories. I like hearing that behind the scenes kind of stuff that you don't, you know, you don't get to hear about yeah, every day. What a great wow. guy.
2: What a great guy. Yeah.
1: You know, uh, you know I, I've listened to you know some other interviews and stuff and looked a lot of things up about the guy and uh man talked about some crazy stuff that guy had to go through yeah Yeah, he's a good soul he had to carry steven adler you know over his shoulder naked is that right he's over odian and and basically getting him to an er with him on his shoulder carrying steven you know to go get Get, well you know even when we he
0: talked to the la guns manager he even said you I mean it's like seven years of my life was taken off and just you know what you had asked him about in the beginning you know it's I like i
2: can't just imagine just the shit
0: that they have to go through doing that job
2: i mean we think our lives are stressful and then you hear stories like that it's like
1: and, it's the, like, and, the, and the thought of that he stuck around for 17 years right it's like the first year or two would be like probably enough for anyone I mean, how the guy became what he became. I mean, and and was able to, um, you know, basically get around that maze. I mean, yeah. I'd be yeah.
2: interested in knowing why. I mean, he he may not know. We didn't have a chance to ask him, and he may not know. But why they didn't want him to continue as their manager. Uh, anyway, like I said, maybe we can do a part two with him sometime. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean he's in St. Louis, and I think he actually um, offered to maybe even come in studio. <laughs>
2: That's right, and,
1: he um, did. So maybe we can do that, and um, wow. you know, talk to him a lot about other things. I was, I was wanting to bring up this book. You know, I don't wanted to see if he uh, right. got that right. one with uh, all these cool pictures of GNR. Yeah,
2: he's actually trying to call me. I, I'm gonna tell him i'll t- i'll call him back after the show
1: i guess they think that once they're done that we're done
2: yeah and that's understandable i don't uh, i don't know if he i'll send him the link to the playback but anyway excellent interview um great person make sure you support rock for eternity that's some good work he's got going on uh teresa would you like to say hello to the viewers let me put you on camera she dressed up pretty for us tonight there she is how have you been it's hey, been a while. I
1: look behind you. It's a Guns N' Roses posters. Oh, look at that. And I, I, I'm wow. wearing a Guns N' Roses shirt. Oh, ah, that's, that's so cool. It, I mean, wow. It's so cool. Wow.
2: Very cool. Uh, well, you know, we, we talked a little bit about how not only can people see the replays um, on Facebook, Twitch, Twitter, YouTube. We're now in podcast format, so we made a cool little flyer here. Uh, you guys can check us out. Check the replays out. We'll get this one uploaded real soon. It, it'll be available on Spotify.
1: We're on Spotify,
2: Amazon Music,
1: Amazon Music.
0: So if you guys discover this and you haven't, you don't know us at all. We're we're three hardworking musicians that like to talk about music too. So yes. stick with us, and, and we'll have some cool guests coming up. Yeah,
1: I you listen be. to us in your car or at work with your. Wow. With, your, with your child, is or your significant other. This is our this is our uh podcast voice. It's kind of dorky. Hi. I'm Hi. sorry. i don't... You are listening to Tulsa Music Stream you... on iHeartRadio.
2: Now that's radio voice, but yes. Scott, whatever you've got going on is not working
1: for Mine me. Mine was more female. <laughs> female. <laughs> Something male. Someone had to be a female. A
0: female.
2: You
1: can find us on Spotify you too
2: someone had to be a female hello between us two. Oh
0: yeah he's, the, God, he's so offended you know
2: anyway so yeah podcast sweaty balls oh my gosh as always sweaty like... you guys shut up as for always
0: we'd like to thank all of you
2: shut it dustin little you're the man thank you for supporting our tulsa music stream continuously we love you brother if you guys have it needs contact dustin at PC. He is practical technology and network networking services yeah. for Oklahoma's local business community. And,
1: and it's easy as 918-640-0892 wow. at Dustin, Dustin at com uh, Extension Dustin.
2: Scott, why don't you talk about this next so, one too? So
1: check it out, Identity Merch here. Oh, at, there's a delay, isn't there? Uh, no, Um. so Tulsa Music Stream also, we have t-shirts and he's got other shirts too that he does, not there just the Tulsa Music Stream shirts, but... We would really uh, appreciate it if you do go get a Tulsa Music Stream t-shirt. They are yeah. very soft and cuddly and they, <laughs> they're warm at night when you wear them as a nightgown. If where you're ki- three years old. And I, I will attest
0: to that. I did wear one as a nightgown and I slept so good that night. So,
2: test t- <laughs> test for you guys, where can people go to find the Tulsa Music Stream official online store?
0: Identitymerch.com. No. Yeah. Facebook.com um, slash no. Identitymerch.com.
2: I, I don't think that's right, guys. Ah, well, I think both of you are wrong. Let's try this again. How okay? could both of us be wrong? So if they go to the Tulsa Music Street Tulsa Music Stream Facebook page, I'm so flustered. The link to the store is right there on the top. Oh, okay. absolutely.
1: That's what I, that was my next guess actually.
2: You guys don't even know. I
1: thought maybe you're talking about his own <clears throat> site. Yeah.
2: You know what? Shout out to Psychoma Filmworks and D E B concerts and everybody who's had a hand in getting this thing. To be what it is, sixty-nine fellas in the books.
0: Shout out to Doug Burgess and Key West out there.
2: Yeah, oh, Rock jealous.
0: Island. Yeah, jealous. you know, just a year ago we were out there. We were I thought of you when I saw him out there. No, I'm like,
2: no, we came back with COVID. Yeah. Don't tell anybody. Oh, that was a year ago. Never mind. We're good.
1: They're, yeah. They've uh, they've they've done their. Uh... I got it the last day though, so it didn't totally ruin it. Yeah, yeah. I was all on the beach and shit and streaming and. Thought I was just like seeing this awesome sun, and then the last day is like, blah. You're a little creepy. Like, yeah. The last thing I wanted to do was see a beach.
2: I wonder how many people are still watching. I don't know.
1: 15. 15 people are still watching
0: us ramble. Is that right?
2: Yeah. Uh, mine says night. Oh, there it is. But, it, you
1: know, it's not about how many viewers are what? watching at this moment. It's about how many end up watching it at the end it's of the It's people like you who make us what we are yeah. here at Tulsa Music Street. Because by the end of the week, there will be hundreds of views, and that's what's cool.
2: Yeah, we're starting to realize that most most of the traffic comes from the replays. So, so like, cool.
1: like, say, for instance, if I share them into a group mm-hmm. and, say, the admin doesn't approve it, until like 2 hours later. Oh yeah. So if I share it on there, and it doesn't get approved and then he'll he'll like uh, approve it like 2 hours later, and then everyone, all the 69,000 people that are in that group can then view it. But if they don't if they don't let it go right away, then we don't get that. So. Yeah. Shout out to It's Jim. all about the the um what do you call them? The um after show viewers
2: what you call it whatever you want
0: you know people get off work late sometimes and they, you yeah
2: know. yourself included huh
0: yeah that was it that was barely that, made it bro i i know it's I know. okay
2: know. glad you're here jack Peary. shout out don hosterman thank you for always being here angie parker leslie allred thank you sweetie dustin little you're the man all you guys we appreciate y'all so much um we are working hard to try to book some more shows uh, we should have an announcement soon about another one coming up but for now Make sure, I hope y'all you got your tickets, because uh, if you didn't, you're SOL. These fellas are with Josie Scott tomorrow night at the, is it the Venue Shrine? Am I saying that correct? Yeah. Do you have any idea what time, I mean, I want everybody to go for the whole show. I think the door, I think the doors are at seven, show at eight. Do you have any, time, any idea what time you guys hit the stage?
0: I would say around 10.30.
2: Okay, but please go for the whole show, because there's some really cool local bands yes, that are playing yes. as well and uh, that's gonna be a kick-ass show um come see scott and me saturday if yeah. you don't mind now, now you guys
1: played f- last week
2: oh yeah i did yeah
1: Dead Society did. Yeah, that was
2: rocking bro
0: yeah that was a great show
2: that was off the chain man yeah, we, we yeah. saw the vid it was uh it was, uh, it was, it was slamming
0: two dollar bills y'all
2: you know what we were we were here stressing Our over football dream. It was, a, it was a stressor. I'm
1: glad
0: I got to miss the game that I didn't see.
2: I must admit, we did feel badly for you. That was a little shocking.
0: Ridiculous. But anyway, Tulsa Music Stream. <laughs> <laughs> Love you guys out there. We hope that you'll tune in for episode 70.
2: Yeah.
0: Whenever yeah.
1: That... I mean, it's just like 31 away from 100. And I don't know what I'm going to do when we get it to 100. It's got to be something special. I,
0: I, I think that we should wear gowns.
1: Gowns or night gowns like (laughs) Tulsa Music Stream gowns? (laughs) (laughs) Shit. uh, Yeah, those gowns. (laughs) Yeah, I think we should dress in suits. Like Jana can wear a suit. Hi, Angie. Hi, Elizabeth. There they are. All these people, all these great folks. Jack Perry, thank you so much for uh, saying great show. Uh, Don Hosterman says, I'm here. Dustin Little says, Poor Jana. Angie Parker, (laughs) hi. How you doing? Uh, Leslie Bailey. Allard, how you doing? Thanks, everyone. How and you Doug doing? Weber, number 69, cool stream. Thanks, Doug. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. This is going to be cool. So, anyway, thank you guys, for each and every one of you, for uh, coming into the chat room and, and supporting our stream. We like to have a lot of yeah. fun on here and, and get some really cool guests and everything. We haven't done it in a while either. So I mean, there's just so, so many cool, interesting stories from everyone from Doug to, to you know. Everyone. Doug, that we've to, had Dustin, on Doug here. to Dustin Little. We have cool stories
0: for you. Like, all yeah. we, we should running. have
2: Dustin on, and he could tell us about practical technology solutions.
0: And you could talk about the Eagles.
2: Oh no, thanks.
0: <laughs> I knew that was coming.
2: <laughs> anyway, Damn. love you guys. Watch for the next show announcement. It'll be out soon. Appreciate y'all supporting Tulsa Music Stream. Have a great hi night.
0: Gay. Thanks for having us.
2: Hi mom. Hi love dad. Y'all. Hi everybody. Have a great weekend. Nice. See you soon on Tulsa Music Stream. Good night.